haven't been following the exciting research behind the co-op approach, we are so excited to discuss it with you today. Now, co-op stands for Cognitive Orientation to Daily Occupational Performance. And this is a trademark approach with a formal certification program. So I wanted to be super clear right at the beginning that our intent is not to fully teach you this method today. We're going to be talking about bits and pieces so we can be discussing the research. But our focus will really just be on discussing the research that supports it. We'll be specifically looking at a randomized control trial, and the authors will explore the effectiveness of the co-op approach by examining its effectiveness at three different levels, the body function, activity, and participation level. This approach just really aligns with OT principles, and I think as you hear the research, I think it'll just really warm your OT heart because it really uses a lot of language that is familiar to us. And after spending time in the research article, we will be joined by T. Stock. T owns her own practice here in the U.S. providing pediatric therapy in the home, and she is also certified in the co-op approach. So she and I will discuss the research as well as practical implications for OTs. So let's dive in. Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where we review new and influential OT journal articles, then invite on an expert guest to help us pull out actionable takeaways that you can implement in your practice starting today. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL. And before we dive into the co-op approach, I wanted to let you know that this podcast may qualify as continuing education for you. To gain CEU credit, all you have to do is listen to this episode in full and then jump into the OT Potential Club, which is our online evidence-based practice platform. And in there, you'll find a five-question test that you can take to earn your certificate for your time today. But bearing in mind that this episode can serve as a continuing education course, I wanted to explicitly state our two learning objectives so you can be thinking about them throughout the podcast today. Our first learning objective is that you will be able to identify outcome measures utilized to determine the effectiveness of the co-op approach. And two, you will be able to recognize the limitations of the research behind the co-op approach. So let's turn to our journal article, and then after that, I will bring T on to discuss the research with us. So the article that we are looking at today is called The Cognitive Orientation to Daily Occupational Performance. Intervention leads to improvements in impairments, activity, and participation in children with developmental coordination disorder. It comes to us from the Journal of Disability and Rehabilitation, and it was published in the year 2016. And it is ranked 65th on our list of the 100 most influential OT research articles. So the article begins with an introduction to the co-op approach. And just to be fully transparent, I'm going to use some information from both the article and from the co-op website because they had some really great language on there too. So as I mentioned already, co-op stands for the cognitive orientation to daily occupational performance. And in my own words, I would say that the co-op approach is centered around a cognitive strategy that helps clients to do trial and error-based problem solving to help them achieve the goals that they set. And this cognitive strategy is called goal, plan, do, check. So essentially, they're setting a goal, they're making a plan, they're actually trying that plan out, they're doing it, and then they check how they went, and then they repeat the process until they've met their goal. 
And the clients can use this strategy to meet their self-identified goals in therapy. And then what's great about a cognitive strategy like this is that it can be carried forward beyond therapy to help them navigate future challenges. So that's a very simple overview of the co-op approach, and there's definitely complexity that I'm not capturing there. On the co-op website, they would add that this approach also employs collaborative goal setting, dynamic performance analysis, cognitive strategy use, guided discovery. And something that T and I will talk about is this framework really also sets you up to engage caregivers and parents and um, other important people in your client's life. So as I teased in the beginning, this randomized control trial is going to look at the success of the co-op approach from multiple levels. It's going to look at it from the body function level, the activity level, and the participation level. And OTs will recognize this framework from the World Health Organization's International Classification of Function, Disability, and Health, or the ICF model. And this model just really encourages us to think of health on these multiple interconnected levels. I always think of that ICF chart, which I'll definitely link to in the club, uh, just to help you visualize how they see these levels connecting. So I think that's all the background knowledge we need to head into the specific goal of this journal article. So the researchers wanted to determine whether a 10-week group-based program based on the co-op approach would produce improved outcomes at the function, activity, and participation levels. So what were the author's methods for achieving this? They recruited 20 male children that were ages 8 to 10 and were diagnosed with Developmental Coordination Disorder, or DCD. And these 20 kids were randomized into either a control group or a co-op group. There were three different groups of the 10 kids, and they were based into a group based on having common occupational performance goals. And these goals were identified through the use of the Perceived Efficacy and Goal Setting System, or the PEGS. The group sessions were approximately one hour in duration and took place one time per week. And then on top of that, 15 minutes a day of home activity was encouraged. Occupational therapists ran the co-op groups, and they were aware of the children's goals, but they were blinded to the outcome measures that were being used to track the success of the intervention. And just to give you a sense of some of the goals that the kids wrote, they all identified a handwriting goal of speed and legibility. But then their other goals included things like using a knife, tying shoes, kicking a football, catching a ball, doing buttons, cutting with scissors, and hitting a tennis balls. And over the 10 weeks, the sessions were focused on that problem-solving strategy that I mentioned in the beginning, that goal, plan, do, check. And during each session, the children were encouraged to develop and modify their plan to meet their goal and then carry out that plan and then check it as a group. So that was the co-op groups, and then the kids in the control group, they received no intervention, and they were just encouraged to participate in their daily activities as normal. So how did the authors measure the success of the co-op groups? As we've talked about, they're going to look at the success on three levels and use different outcome measures for each level. So to start with the body function level, one of the things that they were looking at was motor overflow, and they used a 3D UL motion analysis and also a flex sensor glove. 
And I do want to pause here, and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit trail because we could talk about developmental coordination disorder for a while. But I did want to let you know that the author saw motor flow as being characteristic of DCD and saw motor flow as something that could be a contributing factor to the motor difficulty with these kids. So that's why they chose to target it as a body function. So then the one other body function that they chose to track was movement proficiency. And for that, they used the Movement Assessment Battery for Children, second edition. At the activity level, they focused on handwriting speed and legibility, and they used the handwriting speed test. And then at that final participation level, they tracked goal attainment, which they used goal attainment scaling for, and occupational performance, which they used the Canadian Occupational Performance Measure, or the COPM. So from the results for this study, I'm going to do my best to give you a really high-level overview of these three levels, just enough to really help you understand the research. And then, of course, you can go back to this original article to dig a little deeper into it. So at that body function level, when they were looking at movement overflow, the co-op group saw statistically significant decreases in aspects of motor overflow, whereas the control group did not see any change. In the area of movement proficiency, neither the control group or the co-op group saw change. It seemed like either there just wasn't change in this area or the measure wasn't sensitive enough to pick it up. At the activity level, handwriting speed was significantly higher for the co-op group at 10 weeks. And on the participation level, in the co-op group, all children showed improvement in their GAS scores from week 0 to week 10. And as far as occupational performance and that COPM measure, both parents and children reported significant improvements in performance and satisfaction post-intervention. So headed into the discussion and conclusion, there was a lot of nuanced discussion in this article, but here is the basic takeaway that I want you to know. The results showed that the co-op approach, when conducted in a group setting for boys with DCD, can lead to improvement at all levels of the ICF, at that body function level, the activity level, and the participation level. So what were my takeaways for OTs from this research? These are just my personal takeaways. They were not mentioned specifically in the research article. I had two of them that I wanted to highlight. My first takeaway was that the results in this research were very promising, but they were also very narrow. So they were very promising because we can just never take positive outcomes for granted. We definitely look at research where the intervention simply does not seem to work. So we can't take that for granted. And in this particular research, it was just really exciting to see the benefit of the approach across these different domains. It wasn't isolated just like their body function. It was really changing how these kids participate in the world. But turning a critical eye to the research, the numbers in this study were relatively small, and the research just took place in a very specific context with a very specific audience. Most of us don't practice in groups. And then the idea of having a group of kids with the same diagnosis and similar goals is something that is hard for a lot of us to replicate in our practices. So that's why it's important for us to never look at research in total isolation, which segues to my second takeaway, which is that luckily lots more research has come out since this article was published. 
In our show notes and in the OT Potential Club, I'm going to give you just a handy link so you can look in Google Scholar at the co-op research that's come out since 2016. You'll see that the co-op approach has been studied in lots of different populations, varying from kids with cerebral palsy to adults with post-concussion syndrome. And I definitely didn't do like a formal systematic review of this research, but overall, it just continues to seem really promising and just definitely something that OTs should be paying attention to. It's really exciting for us to have an approach that has this kind of evidence behind it. So after reading this article and looking at the supporting evidence, what I really wanted to hear was how someone who is certified in the approach is using it in their practice. It's one thing to try an intervention in the really controlled environment of a research study versus when you're boots on the ground in a private practice. And I'm so thankful that our guest today said yes to being on this podcast. Our guest today is T. Stock, and she is an O-T-R-L-O-T-D-M-S-M-B-A. She has been an occupational therapist since 1998, specializing in school and home-based practice. She became a faculty member at MGHIHP in 2019 and teaches in their OT program. Dr. Stock completed her Master's of Occupational Therapy at Tufts University in 1998 and her Doctorate of Occupational Therapy at Quinnipiac University in 2017. Dr. Stock conducted her doctoral research study on post-secondary transition planning and the roles that OTPs have in that process. She also has a master in business administration from Bentley University. Dr. Stock is certified in the co-op method and has presented on the co-op approach to fellow OTs. She has extensive continuing education in the areas of autism, sensory processing, handwriting, social skills, and transition planning. And then just one final thing before I bring T onto the podcast, I wanted to be sure to cover all my bases and just one more time emphasize that co-op is this complex intervention with seven key features and to draw on its full potency, the elements really need to be used together. And that's why this approach is trademark and has this full certification program. So during our discussion, we're going to be discussing different elements of the approach, but this definitely doesn't constitute a training in the approach and you would have to head to the their website for that. So with that being said, it is my pleasure to patch T on to our podcast. Welcome to the podcast, T. It's great to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to talk about the co-op approach. Yeah, when I, first of all, when I saw this article on our list of the 100 most influential OT articles. I knew I wanted to cover it because I'm so interested in the co-op approach and I had read about it before. But for me, the big missing piece was what does it actually look like in practice? Like I've never actually talked to anyone who's out there in the trenches using it. So I really wanted to find someone who's practicing and using the co-op approach. So I'm so thankful that you were willing to be on our podcast today. I wanted to start with asking you, I guess, a two-part question. One, I'm curious how you found occupational therapy, and then two, how in that journey you then found the co-op approach. Okay, well, as far as how I found OT, I first worked in marketing and mm -hmm. when I was first out of college, and found while I loved working with people and helping them, I didn't care so much about the product I was marketing. 
So I went to my career services at Babson College and I did extensive career testing and meeting with a counselor. And a commonality emerged for careers in healthcare from all those questionnaires I did. And the things that came up were speech therapy, PT, audiology, nutrition, and occupational therapy. And at that point, I was not even sure what occupational Mm -hmm. therapy was. So I shadowed people at work in each of these fields, and I fell in love with OT. Mm -hmm. I love that you can work with any age and any population and help people to do the activities they want to do and accomplish their unique occupational goals. And I felt like it could be so creative sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I set about planning for what I needed to do to volunteer and do prerequisites to get ready to apply to OT schools. So almost every day, I'm so happy that I'm an OT and that I get mm-hmm. to assist clients in meeting their goals and using their strengths, which is such an important part. And then I get to be a small part of their success. Mm-hmm. And later on, I went back for my OT doctorate degree, and I did that so I could gain more knowledge and update my skills. And the second part of your question was how I found the co-op approach. So after I graduated from my OTD program, I began helping at the MGH Institute of Health Professionals in Boston, And one term, I was asked to supervise OT students that were doing a study on co-op, and they were studying caregiver involvement. And I'd heard about the co-op approach and goal plan do check, but I was not too familiar with it until then. And as part of my supervision, I utilized the co-op fidelity forms to rate the students on the fidelity of their co-op sessions. And as I learned more, I became really intrigued about this approach. And then I had an opportunity through MGH to attend a co-op course, and then I was really hooked. Yeah, I love so many parts of your story, I guess, to the beginning of it where you found OT from your career office. I feel like OT just like owes so much of our profession to those career offices out there, because that is definitely a common story that I hear where either like job finding tests or whatever connect people to OT because it's not that well known of a profession. So I love hearing that part of your story as well, too. And then with the co-op approach, I think that's probably most people's experiences where they didn't hear about it in school or the first time they were in school because it's I feel like gained popularity in the past decade. So a lot of us are coming to it new. I guess I don't know if they're teaching it in curriculums now, but for the majority of us, it's a new approach that we're hearing about as we're actually practicing. Yeah, I know at MGH now they are teaching it. So I get to help with that sometimes, which is really fun. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. I can definitely see how it fits really well into curriculums. I have lots of questions that we'll get to about the specifics of how you use the approach. But to start us off, I wanted to turn back to this article and just ask about your first initial impressions of it as someone who uses the approach. What were your impressions of this research that we looked at today? So I was very happy to see research on the effectiveness of the co-op approach for group interventions. 
personally, since I do handwriting interventions using co-op, it was great for me to also read about the effectiveness of their group intervention for improving handwriting. And it was very helpful to see how the authors structured the groups and read about what their outcome measures were. I thought the study was well done, and I would like to see more studies with higher numbers of clients. Yeah, there was, it was definitely a smaller number, but the way that so much of it applied to OT, I thought it was just a really compelling and honestly just like fun read as an OT because I felt like I related to every part of it from the intro to the outcomes to, yeah, their discussion. It was, yeah, just a fun read. And I think in the co-op research, I think of this as this felt like a pretty foundational piece of the co-op research where it is one of the early randomized control trials about it. So in that way, I thought it was really helpful too. I wanted to, so I guess start with you found out about the co-op approach and then you got certified in the co-op approach and you're here in the U.S. And I'm curious for you what that experience of getting certified was like. I think when I first looked it up, I thought you like had to go to Canada to get certified. So that was a misconception that I had. But can you tell us about that step from hearing about it to then getting certified in it? Yeah, so the people actually come from Canada to the U.S. if you're in the U.S. to run the courses, and now they're actually doing some of them online. So as I mentioned earlier, I first took a course on co-op through MGH, and it was interesting because it wasn't the first course that they invited me to. I had missed that. So prior to the class, I went to the co-op website, and I did the free introductory online course that anyone can access. And then I looked over the materials that MGH had from the first course. And later on, I took the first and the last of those paid courses on my own. So there are three of the paid courses. And for the last course, I followed an outline and guidance to present a client case study through PowerPoint and Zoom, because this was during COVID, so it wasn't in person, as well as answering questions on my case. And I also listened to others around across the world who were in the same online course present their cases and ask questions of each other. And later on, you find out if you passed. And I was very pleased to pass and receive my co-op certification. And I recommend anyone who's interested, check out that free online introductory course as a way to learn more. And it's a quick course and you learn some of the basics of co-op. Yeah, that seems like a course, even if you're not planning on getting fully certified, just a great way to learn the different dimensions of the course. Do you have ongoing continuing education then to keep up your certification? Or once you're certified, are you certified in it? Do you know that? Once you're certified, you're certified in it uh, as far as I know. Okay. Yeah, that was my impression as I was looking at it too, of course. There's always new research coming out that's fun to follow. But yeah, I definitely like that approach where once you get certified, you're certified um, because I can see how you can learn the foundations and then keep growing on that. So, okay, so you found out about it. You got certified. I want to ask about how you use the 
co-op approach. But before I ask that, I guess, could you orient us a little bit to your practice and just generally, like, who are you seeing and where are you practicing at? Sure. So I'm in Massachusetts and I'm practicing mostly in person at people's homes. And then some people come to my home office and then I do virtual as well. I used to work in school-based practice, but I've gone to just private practice. Oh, great. And are you private pay or do you work with insurance? I work with insurance, some insurances. I don't take every insurance. And then I also take private pay. Okay. So you're going into kids' homes. And when you're thinking about maybe using the co-op approach, what kind of client are you looking for that might be that right fit to use this approach? So yeah, not every client is a fit. So I look for a client that has problem solving skills because that's part of what you need to be able to do to effectively use the approach. And they need to have at least three goals that are within their ability to achieve. And the client needs to have enough receptive language and attention to go through the goal plan do check process. So as I said, not all my clients can do this. Yeah. And do you usually have an idea like before you go see the the client that you might use it or does that usually come out in the evaluation or? So I'll often have an idea from speaking with a parent or the caregiver that calls me and requests Mm. my services. I usually talk to the parent or caregiver for about 30 minutes and sometimes it might be longer on the phone before I see them. And so I have a good idea of what reasons they might be seeking my services for. And then they've also done some initial paperwork. Yeah, that's great. That's great to have that initial 30-minute conversation. I can see the evaluation being so much more potent, having that initial information. So you've talked to the parent, you've decided you're going to use the co-op approach, or you're thinking that you probably will. Can you walk me through what an evaluation might look like? Sure. So I'll complete an occupational profile and then typically use the pediatric activity card sort that's also called the PACS or the COPE or the COSA, which is the child occupational self-assessment. And that's a one page like MOHO assessment with pictures that is easier for some children to fill out and can be done online in a virtual appointment too. And that will help me see through one of those means what goals the client has and their current view of their performance and how important each goal is to them. And then the occupational profile will help me get to know them and see them as a real individual with their unique occupations, factors, their performance patterns, what contexts they're going to be playing or working or going to school in and what performance skills they have. Occasionally, I get a client who's coming for a few specific goals, and they come to the first meeting, or they tell me on the phone very specifics, like, I want to be able to tie my own shoes, write my name in cursive, and open jars. And then I sort of already have the goal step of goal plan do check, but I would still be verifying that with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll link to all those assessments, both on our podcast page and in the club. I know the COSA was new to me when you said that, so I'll definitely look that up and add information on that. I'm curious, 
in this evaluation process as you're talking to the parents about it. Do you usually describe the co-op approach to them at the beginning of the process? And I guess if so, how do you describe the co-op approach to parents? Yes, if I'm thinking about using it, then I tell the parent about it. And I say this might be a really great fit for your child or your teen because they can be really involved in the goal setting in making a plan and then checking after they do the plan, did the plan work, and then helping adjust like what might you want to do differently, what might help, and that really might help them be more bought in or motivated and vested in achieving the plan because they came up with it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it being an approach that parents really grasp onto just because the concepts of it are familiar to basically everyone, like the goal setting and then trial and error and just seems like something that would be easy to get buy-in from the parents. Yeah. And they love that parent and or caregiver involvement because once in a while I have a grandparent that has contacted me that might be the guardian or the person that's highly involved with the child. So they love that caregiver involvement is one of the aspects. And that one of the things I do with the child or teen is the parent or caregiver can stay and be at the whole session and observe it. And typically I ask the child or teen at the end of working through the goal plan do check to then teach the caregiver or parent what they just did so that they're getting more practice of whatever mm. plan they just came out with. And then we'll make a plan. Can you go home and show somebody else how this works? Can you go home and show your dad what your plan is for tying your shoes so that he knows your plan for tying your shoes or your plan for opening jars or whatever yeah. it is that they're working on? So that that caregiver involvement piece, parents and caregivers really love that. Yeah, I just love that principle of the approach and how it lends itself to right away in that goal setting. Like I can see how it just lends itself to parent involvement. Yeah. And if it was a school, then it would be teacher involvement or if there's an aid, the um, paraprofessional involvement. Yeah. When you're kicking off with the client, the child, how do you usually uh, describe the approach to them to like kind of set it up? So I might explain we're going to try an approach called goal plan, do check. And you can use like a little puppet. Some people have used like robots. You'll see like in different co-op studies, like they'll have different things. I haven't done that with like a puppet or robot, but I think it's great. Yeah, it's super interesting because when I was reading the research, some other articles, they introduced the co-op method with like a detective analogy. Like they introduced mm -hmm. like you're going to be the detective to your kids. And I had just finished recording my podcast, my previous podcast with Lindsay Vestal, who does pelvic health. And that's how she introduces her like the concept of her pelvic health too, like you're going to be a detective of your own body and I'm going to help you figure out. And I had never thought of that analogy for rehab. So it's just super interesting to see it twice. And I see the fit in the co-op method and just like more broadly in therapy as well. Yeah. And it connects to also to social thinking from Michelle Garcia Winner, where she has that series about you're going to be a social detective. 
Mm. So some of the kids that are in elementary school are familiar with the social detective, or even if they're in middle school, they might've had that earlier about them being a detective about social clues. So they can use that same idea of clues to what's going to work for your strategies, what's helpful, what's going well, what might you want to change. Yeah. Yeah. I love those strategies that just put the client in the driver's seat and encourage them to be thinking about what's happening. So, so you've done the evaluation, you've introduced it to the parent or caregiver and child. And then can you walk me through what a treatment or intervention session might look like? I know it varies a lot depending on what the different goals are, but I guess just a general walkthrough would be good. Sure. So typically the co-op intervention starts with my client demonstrating their baseline of the goal. So that would be like the first day that they're actually doing the co-op goal plan. Do check. They're going to demonstrate their baseline because they might've told me the first day, which is sort of like your intake day, or we might get to this on the first day or might not. So it might be session one or session two that they're going to demonstrate their baseline so that I can see them actually do it. And they're going to rate themselves on the 10 point scale. What number do you feel like you're at right now on your baseline? And that also lets me know, do they have some idea of what this involves? Because that's one of the prerequisites of using the co-op is to have a general idea of the activity. So then after we've seen the baseline, they make a plan with my coaching. And this would be the plan part of the goal plan to check. And then we discuss the plan for how to specifically do the activity they chose, whether it's tying their shoes or opening the jar or writing. And this might involve a way to remember what um, steps they want to do or what they think is important to do first and second and such. So they might come up with a mnemonic or a script, or Mm -hmm. in some cases, if it's somebody with a lot of anxiety or who just can't answer open-ended questions well, I might give them some choices that these kind of things have helped other people. Do you want to try to use this or this? And you are allowed to do that if the client isn't able to come up with the idea on their own, you're allowed to give them some choices in this case, as long as they can use like problem solving strategies. So then they actually do the activity using the plan that we have probably written down in most cases. And in some cases we might make a visual to go with it. And the co-op book does come with some visuals that you can use some forms you can use to write down the plan with the child or the teen or the adult. And so those can be helpful. And then doing the activity is that do from goal plan, do check. And then we together analyze how it went with me using guided discovery and domain specific strategies. And this is the check portion of the goal plan, do check. So I'll be asking guided questions that can facilitate the client to problem solve. I'm trying to get at what went well. What do you think happened? that you liked? Did, you know, were you successful? What may have gone wrong or what they would like to do differently? And I might ask about areas that I noticed by saying something like, what did you notice about what each hand was doing? So I'm trying to 
facilitate if they need it with what areas they might think about. So those guided questions. Then I Mm -hmm. help the client adjust the plan if it's needed. What should we change about your plan to try it again? And maybe in that session, we have time to try it again, or it might be the next week. And over time through the process, the client is learning strategies for problem solving that they can later apply to other goals. So eventually, maybe at the end of 10 weeks, they can take the approach and use it for other things at home or at school. And that's the end goal of co-op is that the client can use the approach on their own eventually. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to put myself out of a job in a way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what I love about this approach is how it normalizes trial and error. Like I think trial and error is just the most powerful learning tool and it normalizes it for the clients, but it also normalizes it for us as therapists. Like, I think that we have a tendency to just want our clients to to set them up for success and succeed. But I can see in the co-op approach that your client might come up with an idea that you may think that may not work. Like, yeah. And that's the, we kind of have to let go of that wanting to control everything and let it be self-directed. But I see how that helps you get to that end goal of that, like you said, that they're using this approach on their own. Right. Um, and if they do, Sarah, if they do make a mistake and, or put part of their plan being something that's just not going to work, I do just have to let that go and let it happen Yep, and let them, you know, sort of learn from that, you know, how did that go? Yeah. And it is hard in the beginning. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's not what we're used to. <laughs> yeah. Because we just want to jump in. It's like an OT, I think, personality. You want to jump in and solve things for people. You want to have them be successful right away. But actually, they can be more successful over time if they figure out the process for being successful rather than the immediate success. Yeah. Yeah, that makes me laugh to be like, this is a framework for our our clients, but it's also a framework to help keep us in check that we're not like imposing our thoughts on the situation and yeah, really letting it play out, letting it be client directed. I want to ask you about a really technical logistical part. I know that you're going to share a documentation example with us of a treatment session. When you're in the co-op approach, Do you have like kind of a set template then for how you do your documentation? It seems to me like it would be a pretty easy approach to document because it seems pretty structured. Like I can just see how it builds itself into a nice note. Have you found that it's easy to document? Yes, I found it's really easy to document because they provide forms and then you can also, you know, make your own forms to document. So they have the PQRS forms, which is the patient quality rating scale forms. Oh, yeah. And they also have a goal plan to check form that you can print and just use, you know, with the client and have the client write on it or you write on it what your goal and plan and do and check is for that session. And it might be for three different goals. So I might have goal one, two, three for today. And maybe we won't get to them all. Maybe we will. And then how did, you know, goal one go? We might have, there's enough room on the form to have multiple goals on the same form. 
And then we're rating before, as I said, we've got the baseline of their rating and that could have been done instead through the COPUM. But I kind of like the PQRS form because I've got that form sitting there. I put the names of the goals like shoe tying or whatever it is right there listed. And then we put the pre-rating in and then most sessions, but it doesn't have to be every single session. We can rate what do you think your performance was today? And so you see, is it the same? Are they kind of feeling like they're still a five or did they say that it's gone up? And we can let the clients rate themselves with the, a co-op approach, or we can rate them as therapists, or the parents could be rating them. Mm-hmm. So there's some flexibility. But the way I've done it, which the co-op people assured me was fine, is I'm letting my clients rate themselves. And then I haven't had a problem, but I imagine you could with people being off on their ratings. And then it would be good to have that inter-rater reliability mm-hmm. where I've got the therapist rating too. And you've been very specific about what each number on the scale is for that goal. Like this is exactly what a 10 looks like. This is, you know, and you can make that template of what exactly is a one to a 10 mm-hmm. and use that if needed. Yeah. I love thinking about building these sessions and the documentation behind it just sounds like a really fun approach to do as a therapist. I'm curious the reaction that you've had in your practice of the clients and then the parents overall. Do you feel like it's a well-received approach? Does Is the trial and error part of it frustrating and people don't like it sometimes? What's been your experience there? So I've had nothing but positive feedback and reactions to the Mm -hmm. co-op approach, which is fabulous. Clients and families love the co-op approach since it's so helpful in motivating clients and helping them achieve their goals because they're in the driver's seat. And with the co-op, we're really teaching and supporting problem-solving skills and activity analysis that can be applied to other goals and situations So I've had nothing but positive, but I think sometimes you have to be able to read the situation to prevent like too much frustration. Mm -hmm. So if I've asked a client, you know, what should we write down for the plan? And they are just blank because they may have a diagnosis that involves some kind of anxiety or difficulty with open-ended questions. So they may need a little more support in some cases to prevent them from getting too frustrated and it not working. So I can see there might be a situation where that might happen to somebody, but I've only had positive luckily to date. And that's not to say it couldn't happen differently tomorrow. So yeah. 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 And I, I see those potential challenges, but I'm also like, I see those challenges in anytime we're doing therapy, that something could become too frustrating and we're having to you're still having to read that just right challenge, even though it's a more patient directed approach, you still want to make sure that the failure isn't like a, I want to give up totally or quit, like that it's that just right challenge to keep moving forward. And it just seems like a really supportive framework to do that in. Yeah. And they can always be supported with a visual that they are involved with choosing. Yeah. So that there's still their involvement. Like, do you think this or this would help you? Yeah. So 
So you're a pediatric therapist working in the home, and I know you're not like the end-all be-all expert on co-op, but just in your opinion, what other therapists do you think would benefit from getting certified in this approach? So I think almost every therapist would be a good fit for learning about the co-op approach. It is so client-centered, which we're Mm -hmm. all supposed to be, right? And co-op works on the occupations that the client identifies, and sometimes it's with help from their family, and it improves their motivation since they're so involved in the goal setting, the problem solving, and the self-rating. But as far as what the therapist needs to be a good fit, I think they need to have good communication skills. They need to have activity analysis skills. They need to understand the client's disability enough to know how that might affect learning. For example, what I was saying about like the open-ended questions. And they need to be committed to working with caregivers since that's such a key part of this approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and all those things feel really central to just occupational therapy in general, which is just part of why I like this approach again, because it's just aligns so well with occupational therapy. And something that I'll link to for people is there just has been a lot more research that has come out about the co-op since this article. And they're definitely studying it with different populations. And yeah, I think they've just done a great job building a research body behind it. And I'd love to have one of the researchers on the podcast sometime just to talk that through because it is a really compelling evidence base. And we'll share more of that in the podcast notes and in the club. Yeah, the breadth of the diagnoses and populations is really bigger than we would think because initially Mm -hmm. people thought it was really just for kids with developmental coordination disorder. And that really isn't the case, although that's a really good fit. Certainly that population is an excellent fit, but the client space has really expanded. You know, they have clients with cerebral palsy, with autism, with stroke, they have mental health, all kinds of different client types and groups, individuals. So it's really much larger than we initially heard when we heard about this approach Yeah, when it first came out. Yeah, definitely started with that DCD diagnosis of research did. and But you can just see how it applies to so many populations. And I can see myself using the co-op method to <laughs> approach new challenges, like just thinking or thinking in that way for myself. I wanted to circle back, just back to the article one more time and having heard about how you practice, how you've used it. I wanted to ask how reading the research article that we read today, did that make you think differently about your co-op sessions or about co-op in general? Do you think there's things that you'll tweak in the future after spending time in the research? So I had not tracked motor flow pre and post with my clients. Mm. So that was an interesting yeah, that aspect was interesting. to me that they even thought to track that because I personally hadn't thought about tracking that. I'd been always very focused on the goals themselves and the client rating their progress and then rating their success in reaching their goals. I think based on reading this study that I'll be trying to note clinical observations more of the motor overflow pre and post intervention. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, 
I also want to look more into possibly incorporating the pegs since I have not been using that. And I want to learn more about that as a possibility. So I just ordered that to see, you know, if that's something that will be helpful to me. Mm, Yeah, that's super interesting. That pegs part or them using that assessment definitely stood out to me. That's something, an assessment that I've heard about, but don't know much about. And I agree with you that that was definitely something that I would have been interested in exploring more in the future. Kind of my last big question that I really wanted to hear from you was how has learning this co-op method just made you think differently about your OT care in general? Like I can just see once you know this method that it can infuse into your therapy care, even when you're not using the approach, has that been the case for you? So co-op really tuned me into the benefits of turning that decision-making over Mm -hmm. to my client, even if they're a child. So I think I used to, I was more in pattern of turning over the decision-making with teens and adults more than younger children. So this is in line with client-centered goal setting and care even at younger ages. And it works well for some of my clients, which was new to me, you know, to think of that, that even sometimes, you know, a six-year-old or seven-year-old could be in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think as OTs, we talk about client-centered care a lot, but I love how this gives such a set framework to actually put the client in the driver's seat. I've definitely said in the past that, I look back on the care that I've given and I've been horrible at client-centeredness. Like I think I would think of client-centeredness as like, oh, I'm nice to the patient or I'm, but in the meantime, I was like structuring the session myself and not even like getting their buy-in on goals. Like I think that this gives such a concrete way to be client-centered. And that goes back to your point that I can just see the benefit of a wide variety of therapists getting certified and learning more about the approach and the research behind it. I guess I did have one follow-up question. I just said the last one would be the last, but as far as like future research for the co-op method, just for you and your practice, what would you like to see coming out in the future to follow up on this study and some of the studies that have come out? I'd like to see more studies on larger groups and then more on caregiver training outcomes. The one I was involved in supervising the students was interesting, but it clearly pointed that there needs to be more research on that, on the caregiver training, which it can be, you know, a key part of co-op. And then also continuing to expand the types of clients to a wider and wider base, since it is such a great approach to use with, you know, many, many clients. Yeah. Yeah. I would say yes to all those things. And I am just really excited for the research that we'll see coming out in the future. And I'm excited to think about our students, like you mentioned, being trained in it earlier in their careers and yeah, just continuing to gain visibility in the therapy community. We're coming close to the end of our time today, but I really wanted to ask you my rapid fire questions if you're up for it. Sure, definitely. Let's do it. What's the first sentence that you usually say to your clients? So 
I like that you just said clients because mm. some people would say to me patients. And I think because of all my years in school-based practice, I like to use the word client myself like you just did because mm. it feels like a better description to me. Yep. So I would say the first sentence that I like to say to my clients is, it's really nice to meet you. And I'm looking forward to learning more about you and what matters to you today. Mm, and that would be a great segue into the co-op approach then <laughs> for you. Yeah, and that can even works whether they're in person or virtual. Oh, yeah, I can see that for sure. And what's the last sentence that you usually say to a client like at the end of your session? It was so nice to see you and get a chance to do activities with you today. And I really look forward to our next session. And if it was a child that's young, I might say it was really nice to get to play with you today. And I can't wait till we get to mm. play next time. Oh, that's awesome. What's your favorite assessment to do? The COPUM, I would say, is my favorite hands mm. down because you can adapt it easily to utilize it with most clients. You can mm. do it in person or virtual. And I like that it has the three different client ratings, that they're rating the importance, then they're also rating their performance, and then their satisfaction with the performance. But in second place with me is the activity card sort. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And especially the COPAM, I think, is one of those assessments that we see the most, I see the most in research. It's so widely used and such a great tool. I totally agree with that. What's your favorite OT intervention to deliver? So under our OT practice framework, my favorite intervention is occupations and activities. Mm. And occupations and activities selected as interventions for my clients are designed to meet their goals. And also I'm thinking about addressing their underlying needs of their mind, their body, and their spirit. So to use the occupations and activities therapeutically, I need to consider what are the activity demands and what are the client factors in relation to their goals and the context. And as far as favorite activities of mine, I love working with clients on their chosen leisure skills because I think that just lends itself to their spirit. When we think back to their underlying needs, it helps with the mind, body, and spirit to get to do your favorite leisure activities and skills. So sometimes with children and teens, I get to play with them. And maybe it's games or motor play or motor activities, like even basketball or something. And that's just great. I love that sometimes as OTs, we get paid to play. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> What's something that you've read recently that's inspired your OT practice? So I recently read a quote from Ginny Stoffel, and the quote goes, Occupational therapy practitioners ask, what matters to you, not what matters with you? Mm -hmm. And I love this quote of what matters to you by our former AOTA president. It demonstrates how occupational therapy truly is a client-centered profession that emphasizes the person's wants and needs without just focusing on their diagnosis. Mm -hmm. 
So what matters to the client might be very different from what we expect before we get to know them through our interview and through doing the occupational profile and asking them what their goals are. And occasionally it's very surprising what matters to the client. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely keeps us on our toes and yeah, keeps our jobs fun to have that unexpectedness sometimes. And my final question is, how do you hope a patient feels after your initial visit with them? So my hope is that they feel positive, that they go out of our session feeling really positive, enabled, and also listened to. Hmm. Well, I have just felt so encouraged talking to you today, like hearing about how occupation-focused you are as a practitioner and then getting to talk about this approach that is so occupation-based and goal-directed and puts the patient in the driver's seat. Did you have any final thoughts on the approach that you wanted to share? I think anyone who didn't learn about it, as I didn't in my first OT program, should definitely check it out because it's been so helpful and so enabling. And I think we should make sure we put the link for the free course yep. into the you know, the notes you'll be putting online so that people can go there and access that, that it's pretty quick. I think it's like 30 minutes or something approximately to take, you know, to do the readings and then take the quiz to get that course. And then you do actually get a certificate. And I think I'm just really glad to be able to talk about it, you know, because it's something to share. And we as OTs, we love to like help people. And if we can help each other by sharing like what's working Mm. and what we're excited about, then I think it's great. So thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. Thank you for this conversation today. I definitely feel energized by it. Thank you. You all, this episode just made me so proud to be an OT. It is exhilarating to see the research that is building behind our interventions. And even though this is a very specific approach, I really hope that you felt affirmed in many OT principles that you are already familiar with and that the conversation really encouraged you to lean into your own client-centered care and push yourself to put your client in the driver's seat of their care. T mentioned several great resources in this episode, so I encourage you to head to our show notes. And if you are in the OT Potential Club, T also shared a documentation example with us of what a treatment session looks like when she is using the co-op approach. I love seeing documentation examples because it just really helps my brain understand what using this approach in a session looks like. And then when you're in the club, you can also just click on over and take that test so you can earn a continuing education certificate for your time today. As of the recording of this podcast, it is just $49 to join the club. I keep teasing that because headed into 2022, we're definitely looking at a price increase. So do not delay. And if you haven't signed up for the club yet, I just highly encourage you to do so. And as always, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I hope this podcast helps you broaden your knowledge, tweak your practice, and stay evidence-based. Take care, and we'll talk to you next time.